What up? This is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, we hit the racetrack. That's right, man. And it was exciting to say the least, dude. We brought you guys the race legend, Tanner Faust. That's right, the Tanner Faust. And uh, it was incredible, dude. Tanner is an American professional race driver. He's a stunt driver. He's a television host. He is a mentor. He's an ambassador for Rockstar Energy Drinks. And um, now he's a friend. It was a it was an incredible experience, man. We got to talk about his upbringing, uh, all the different platforms he's he's raced with, including X Games. We're talking Rally America, Rally Cross Championships. You know, Formula D. Uh, he, he's he's all over the place, dude. And then we talked about you know his work as a stunt driver with uh, you know the Fast and the Furious franchise and and the new John Wick that just is coming out. His uh, TV show Top Gear, and then we even went into his uh, his YouTube show, which is a uh, Life in the Faust Lane. So we got to do all that, man. And I was joined by my brother-in-law, Dylan Bennett, which is a great time, man. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to just shut up and I'm going to let you guys enjoy the great wisdom of Tanner Faust. So without further ado, I bring to you the racing legend, Tanner Faust. Alternate Take, what's up, man? We are back, dude, and we brought you guys a legend. We brought you guys the rally cart legend himself, Tanner Faust, the most decorated driver in the business. How you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, of course, man. We had to. Um, you came highly recommended, which is huge, and uh, I've known about you for a long time, so this is kind of cool to have you in here, man. Thanks for coming. Right on. Well, I appreciate it. It's a cool setup you got in here. Not bad, right? Yeah. A little kid from Whittier, California. Figured it out. What do you think? Oh, <laughs> doing great. All right. Absolutely. What's up, Dylan? Thanks for joining us, man. My brother-in-law, Dylan's in the building. Thanks for having me. Of course, Dylan. So uh, I like to start from the beginning, Tanner Faust. I like to talk about your upbringing and where you grew up and how we even got this whole thing started, man. So tell me from the beginning about Tanner Faust. Oh, man. Well, you know, it was a cold, dark day in Denver, Colorado. My mom was <laughs> in the hospital. No. There's, uh, <laughs> no. I was born in Denver. My, my parents got divorced when I was three, and uh, my mom... We lived in we lived in Monterey at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, my stepfather or and my dad lived in Denver, and we well sorry I wasn't I was I haven't thought about this back this far in a long time, but I didn't really get racing until I was like college age. Oh wow, no way. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. So I mean, well, I was military brat. My stepfather was in the military, so we were in Monterey, Northern California, and then. Uh, when they got married, all of a sudden we went to Scotland, out in the middle of nowhere. Wow! Yeah, he got just... he got stationed out there. Yep, he was a cryptologist, which is like a decoder. So uh, oh, he's shit. out there listening to Russian submarines, basically. I think that are coming across the North Sea. Wow! And super smart guy. Uh, my mom's super smart, like a mathematician, and um, my I had a new brother, uh, like a stepbrother, and all we did is blow shit up in the barn and <laughs> took our little BMX bikes around and jumped off stuff and broke glass. That was, you know, it was actually a great childhood out in Scotland. Damn. Now they have kids coding in fucking junior high and shit, huh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's like an elective it's, it's now. It's not the same. It ain't the same anymore. Oh, it was so, you know, I think kids got to get out of their system. Huh. No and, shit. And, you know, BB guns and just break shit. Yeah. It I was, swear. It's it, like, it's like that, that mom in the sandlot when you it's just like, go out, have fun, get dirty, make mistakes. That used to be like, there was one kid in the neighborhood who was like the soft one that you had to convince. Now it's fucking every kid. You got to convince them to ride a bike now, right? What about what about Absolutely. your daughter? You're going to do the same? Oh, yeah. She's going to be a racer, 100%. Golf or dirt bikes? Golf is where the money's at. Golf's where the money's golf's at. Golf's where the money's at. Yeah, don't at. put her in you gotta softball. Be, you got to be good at two things, right? Right, right, yeah, so right. Yeah, do golf and dirt bikes. I like it. She's already <laughs> got the attitude 
typical Mexican, you know? <laughs> she, she's only five months, and she is a little turd. I love it, man. Beautiful. <laughs> five months. That's amazing. I love it. So tell me about the beginning when you first started racing then. Because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of backstories with athletes like that. Like, uh, I have a friend who's in the NFL, and he didn't start playing until, like, I think freshman year of high school, like 15 years old. So, like, how did it get started for you? I mean, I was always a fan of cars. Yeah. Like, uh, my dad had an old part of the divorces. He got, he went and bought a 912, which is like a, a like, slowest Porsche ever built. Hmm. But I still have that car now. It actually sits in the second floor of my house. Wow. And it's, um, but that car is what got me into cars. I was always a fan of cars, loved like the look of cars and, and, you know, experience the emotion you get from looking at like a supercar or a muscle car or whatever. But never, you know, that was before I could drive. And I didn't know anything about motorsport. None of my family's from racing. They're all doctors or, you know, in the military. So, um, it wasn't until I was really in college and I was studying to be a doctor that I got a job for an inventor who invented amusement rides. And that was the first time I ever got the entrepreneurial bug, you know, like making the studio in your house to do what you think is fun right. for a living. That was the first time I even thought that was a possibility. And, and then you start, you can't help when you meet, like when people meet you, they're like, okay, he does what he loves to do for work. What do I love to do and how can I make money at it? And that was the first time I ever thought about, you know, skiing and driving were the two most fun things I thought Oh shit. were out there. And so I, I finished school, but before I finished, I got a job with this inventor just to, you know, be close to it and that mindset and by then I had, I had started volunteering on a race team as a mechanic uh, and swapped out like mechanic work in, in for seat time in the cars. And that's really what started. That was in Denver. I was a ship mechanic. And, <laughs> um, but it was, uh, you know, eight months just to drive the car and get a license and do one race. Right. Wow. Um, but it, it quickly became apparent that the reason people don't follow their dream into racing is because of money. It's freaking expensive it's to motorsports. race cars. It, all motorsports. You gotta yeah. have money. But it's a little closer. Oh. Just move, just move it, cabron. Fucking there you go. There we go. That's what the arm's for. You can move it like How this. How are we doing? Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, it's, motorsports is all you need money. It's pricey. To get started. Yeah, and you get I mean, I'm sure you get hit up all the time, Dylan, about people like, Hey, how do I get into business and how's this? I, I I practice all the time, I'm real good. And it's like you be the best person in the world and and great this and incredibly fast but unless you have some sort of little nest egg to start with yeah it's you're stunted you're stunted from the beginning if yep. it's money's an issue for sure absolutely yep. and that was one of my questions for you like that new documentary that came out drive to survive their stepping stone was kart racing as kids and then they have f2 and then f1 how do you start at the rally like is there like a kids class like is there little rally cars i hate to say you know but um, ra well, rally racing was the first kind of racing I did, but that, it, it, what, when I, so when I was a mechanic, I did road racing, which would have been a stepping stone to sports car racing right. or formula car racing like that. But that's the path more traveled and that's, you're, you're fighting against big budgets. Rally racing in the U S is not big. Rally racing is racing through the forest. Um, internationally it's big, but in the U S it's not. And so it really wasn't that expensive. And I got a job as an instructor at an ice school, ice driving school in Steamboat, and it got all the car control stuff sorted out there. But um, that was kind of like a shoe into rally racing. Uh, for kids, 
I, you know, in the U.S., because it's not a big sport, right. there's not a lot of kids aspiring to go be a rally racer. Now, X Games and Rally Cross and stuff like that, there are some stepping stones. And you won the first X Games Rally Cross, right? Um, there was, well, I've been in every one in, that's been in the U.S. Um, the first one was in 2006. I won the second one. In 07. Yeah. And 06 was the first one. Um, uh, Travis won it. And and Colin McRae, a Scottish guy who's one of my heroes. The famous rollover. Yeah, yeah. He rolled it and lost six seconds, but um, or half a second. Yeah. Rolling. Yeah. Rolled the car, yeah. got it back on four, and chucked it to the uh, to the finish line. Yeah. That was a crazy race. Yeah, and X Games was really cool in bringing kind of rally cars and stuff like that to the limelight in the U.S. But still, it's just like drag racing in England. Like it happens, but it's never going to be big. Not like and, the NHRA. Yeah. Rally racing happens in the U.S., but it's never going to be big. So then we, uh, later on, we kind of helped bring Rally Cross to the U.S., rally which cross. is, yeah. Rally Cross is uh, like six to 10 cars door to door on the same track, pushing and fighting and stuff and like that. Pretty gotcha. short, like kind of like heats, like yeah, in yeah, Supercross. Yeah. Um, and that, that form of racing did take off in the U.S., but, um, but to your to your point about the drive to survive stuff, and and as you know, and we were talking about earlier, racing's different in Europe. Like, yeah, geez. I've noticed that just on, just from like my couple hours of research on YouTube, you see how deep it is. Germany, all those places, it's different. Here we have baseball, we've got football, we've got hockey, we've got basketball, we've got all these other things that are big. Absolutely, there they have soccer and racing. Mm -hmm. Those two things. Our motorsports fans suck over here for sure. Yeah, that's what yeah. I've heard. Compared to Europe, those guys are nuts. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to market racing over there. You don't have to put out ads to come to the track they know yeah if they find out that there's a loud car that's going to fire up and make some noises and shoot some flames then sixty thousand people show up right yeah i've yeah. noticed that with we had a couple we had an x games uh legend on here like about a year ago mike escamilla bmx guy yeah and he was telling me like there's sometimes you do have to like get a niche even if like it's something you don't want to do sometimes it does happen um when you're in the x games world because you do have to mark yourself in other ways like for him he was doing all these amazing BMX stunts, and it wasn't really getting traction. He was like, and he was. I mean, he was big, but it wasn't until he did a stunt with him lit on fire that all of a sudden everyone kind of just took off. And he's like, "That's what <laughs> oh, it that's took right, me to get." That's right. That's right. Like, what the fuck? That's, so like, it's funny. Sometimes you have to do these, you know, these different things. And I know you have like um, life in the Faust Lane, which I thought is it was just fucking great. I saw like I think like ten episodes this past weekend. Um, tell me about that. All the extra things you have to do just besides racing. Well, there is, you know, well in Europe, if you're fast. They're, the teams are going to promote you. You're going to find a way to get there. Of course. In, your, in the U.S., yeah, you got to market yourself. And because you're going against people that maybe not as fast, but they're better funded. And th that's just an uphill battle. And um, so I was in rally racing. You know, you're out in the forest. You're hanging out. Dave Miro is a guy who's a rally racer. Bucky Lassick, uh Pastrana, Ken Block. All these guys, it was kind of like a retirement ground for X Games. Age people. comes, age comes a cage. Yeah, that's right. Pastrana <laughs> coined that phrase, and and you get stuck in the forest out there waiting, and you get to know all these drivers, and um, so it became good friends. And Ken, um, I took him to a, a bunch of different stuff. He just wanted to drive stuff. Took him to the ice track where I used to work in Steamboat. He hated it. Took him to this Gymkhana event that one of the Formula Drift judges was putting on at El Toro right down the street. 
And he was like, yeah, that's cool and everything. But like, what if I like rent this car and just rent this whole place and just like make a freaking video of like, like what happens if you pull the handbrake at a hundred miles an hour? Let's just film it. See what it looks like. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, sure. Lined him up with this dude, Court Crawford, who owned the Subaru that we were driving and that event and the El Toro people. And then he went and rented it and shot Jim Connor one. And it was like a, it was like one of the first viral videos, definitely the first viral car video ever made. Definitely, but turned into you know a multi million dollar um, franchise essentially. That that you know that's Ken's genius is making the second and the third one work, taking advantage of that first viral one. But anyway, as soon as he sh- sent me like a little preview of the first one, I wrote him back, and he sent me this email not too long ago. And wrote him back and said, hey, dude, you just changed the way we all have to market ourselves. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And now everybody has to make these freaking videos. And for like 10 years, everybody's like, oh, I want to make a Jim Connor style video, Jim Connor style video. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. You're just beating your head against the wall. And it. And but so to your point, yes, you you have to brand yourself and market yourself and use all the media that you have control over, I mean, mostly social media and YouTube to uh, to add value to what you bring to the plate because a lot of times the racing series isn't televised on something that really brings enough value for how much it costs. Right. So if it costs, you know, X number of dollars to do it, sometimes the television value is really only a tenth of that. So now you got to bring all the social media stuff. You got to bring all the other things that you possibly can to give them the value off the track that makes sense for them to write the check so you can go on the track. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. There's a lot of sports that where one guy kind of did that, that was a pioneer, and it just changes everything. I know for, for boxing, it was Mayweather. For a long time, yeah. there was nothing on the behind the scenes of what's going on in this specific sport. It was just, here's the art, and people were just tuning in for that. If you were good at boxing, that's all you fucking needed. You need to market anything. And then the 24-7 documentaries came out where they're highlighting the whole training camp. It's Mayweather versus De La Hoya, Mayweather versus whatever. And he was the, the genius behind that idea. And everyone in the fight game is like, fuck, dude, thanks a lot. Same thing. Now I got to, like, promote the shit out of my stuff. I got to show, like, I got to get cameras in my house, show them my family so they can get to know my personality. I got to do all kinds of stuff. And every sport's had that. Some sports don't have to do it as much, but when you do it, it's big. I, I know some of your stunts, I just looked up, man, and I was fucking thrilled, dude. The whole Hot, the whole hot Wheels thing was the coolest shit I've ever seen in my life, man. <laughs> that was so fucking gnarly, man. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, that, well, that was like, my job's always been three tiers. It's been racing is the core, but then, uh, some TV hosting and stunts. Yeah. And the stunts, um, when Hot Wheels kind of came up there, the, the concept was we want to do toys for real. Yeah. And I played with Hot Wheels. I had the jump sets. I had all the stuff. <laughs> Who hasn't played right? with Hot right? Wheels? Yeah. Right? And, um, it was just one of those things. It was like, yeah, we'll keep talking about it. I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, this is never going to happen, but. You know, because they're like, oh, it's going to be, you know, world records. going to be, I mean, it was insane what they were talking about, the scale. So it's like, you want to have the conversation and keep going down the road, but then you're starting to look at the diagrams and the size of like, okay, there's this big jump and this tiny little dot in the middle is the truck, <laughs> and you're in the truck. And um, before you know it, they're sending you photos of like construction of the jumps, and you're like, "Oh Jesus, we're really gonna this have to do this." Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. I was just bullshitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was okay, drunk. I guess. Yeah. So now it's like, you know, then like, hey, we're gonna guess what? We're gonna do it at the Indy 500 right before the gentlemen start your engines. There are gonna be 300,000 people there. I was like, Jesus 
Christ, yeah. gotten out of hand here. Put me on the spot like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but it ended up being cool because they did it right. They, you know, they came. You, a company like that has such big scale globally that they can. Um, they're kind of like a McDonald's where there's a mothership company, and then each franchise pays their own like budget, buying the menus, buying the cups and stuff like that with their own owners. The mm -hmm. way that Hot Wheels worked was that there's the mothership here uh, right up the street in El Segundo, mm -hmm. um, but each country is its own franchise. So they make oh, the wow. content, and then those countries buy the content from the mothership to promote in their countries. Oh, shit. And so they paid for the whole thing, and they sell, by the way, every car for a dollar. So they figure everything out and how many cars they have to sell. So we like, yeah, I think just building that jump and stuff was like eight million dollars. Oh gosh! And so Darn. that's and how high was it again? So that's eight million cars. So then they're like, well, in each market, that's only one car for every four kids. And oh, no fuck. problem. You know, that's sort of how they think. It's Smart. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, how big it was? Uh, three hundred thirty-two feet was the jump, which was like a goalpost to goalpost and a ridiculous goal. straight down basically. It was right? huge. Like. Yeah, it was like three, three and a half seconds or something in the air. It was a, it was a pretty big stunt the first one, but you got to practice that. Like you got to start off slow, like with a small jump, and go bigger and bigger. Absolutely. The next stunt was a loop, yes. and that one was six story. So that's like being upside down on a six story building. That was a behemoth. It was. It was big and scary, and the, but the problem was you couldn't practice it. Like you couldn't start. Do or die. Yeah, you couldn't start small and then. Actually, we did get a practice car that was a remote control car, and we're like, <laughs> okay, we need it. We need it. We need to just see that because the engineers were like, we're like, how fast? We're thinking eighty. They're like mm, fifty-two and a half miles an hour. Precise. Yeah, we're like bullshit. There's no way. There's that's no way. Fast no, enough. Yeah. No. It was a guy, Greg Tracy, and myself were the two drivers because there were two cars in that loop. Mm -hmm. And so we got this remote control guy. He's this famous dude. He pull. He gets out this full size car. It's based on a Mitsubishi Evo, and it had like you know controls on the steering wheel and the pedals and everything that he could control. And he crashed like the biggest crash I've ever seen. Oh shit! It, it went up and it fell out of the sky and freaking tires bouncing. Oh, no off. way! Yeah. It, and and that was the only remote control car that they had. So then they're like, <laughs> okay, well, that didn't work. Up, so who's up first? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Tanner, go faster. Yeah. I'm like, all right, man. Yeah. You were in the Volkswagen in that, right? Uh, it was, well, it was a Hot Wheels car, but it was actually both of the, the actual cars were based on Evos also. Gotcha. And the one that I was in was actually the first car I ever bought new from a dealership. It's, it's random how that happened, but in 2003, I bought a a Mitsubishi Evo 8 when they first came out. Sick-ass car. Drove that for a while, lived up in Steamboat, amazing winter car, sold it to a friend of mine who turned it into a drift car, rear-wheel drive, then he made it a race car, and then he sold it to the picture car company that built the Hot Wheels cars. And then it got turned into one of those. Right. Tell, yeah. tell me about, like, your interest specifically in rally car, because I'm, like, a idiot when it comes to most of these things, but, like, when I see from the outskirts X Games Sports, I think Supercross, Motocross... Or NASCAR, but yours is like a really cool middle ground. Like, what kind of made you drive to that specific area where maybe they weren't like, I don't know if there are any role models you had when you first started when you're like, I want to be like him, or what made you draw to specifically to that sport? Well, like, I, so I was a fan of the cars, not I didn't know anything about motorsport, 
And if you watch racing, you can't really see what the driver is going through in like an Indy car. You can't see what the driver is going through even in a NASCAR. But if you look at a rally car that's sliding through the force, you see the front tires twitching around. You yeah. see the drivers working. And that's when I kind of, when I saw a Colin McRae video of him ra rallying a, a Subaru through the forest, I was like, holy shit, the driving looks amazing. Like yeah. you can actually see what he's going through. And that's when I was like, you know, I need to learn how to do that. It wasn't just about the cars anymore. It's about the driving. And so I was always a fan of that and respected that. Never thought you could make a living at it. And unless you have a family member in motocross or in skateboarding or making a living racing, you can't, it's hard to see the pathway to go from my interest right. to I'm a professional. Yeah. And so it, it, and like I said, I mean, I was a mechanic, so it was like baby steps to getting there are hard to, to make out. Rally racing was something that, um, when I worked at the ice driving school, I got into the car control of it and everything and, you know, extracting speed out of a car while it's sliding. And, um, there was a Subaru dealer that, uh, was that I used to park cars for as a, a side job mm -hmm. and um and wash cars there and that dealer uh joked about hey we should go rally racing sometime and and um i found a used rally car he bought it uh i got a hookup from some friends that lived out here that i still work with in la with sparko to get some driving suits his wife thought he looked cute in the driving suit <laughs> and that was five years of racing right there wow yeah so it's uh, sometimes you just gotta you know increase the sex libido of a <laughs> of your sponsor and then you're going to go racing and but that and I never made money rally racing in the beginning um at the same time I got into drifting and drifting was something that that same car control actually worked for yeah but drifting was marketable cuz cuz if you remember when drifting came out there was you know it was like a lifestyle it was when hot import nights and all that stuff was happening. Like yeah. street, it was Fast and Furious had just come out. Right. So it was like street racing was becoming like something that people knew about and could make money off of. Yeah. And it was a lifestyle that was young. And so all these companies wanted to get into the lifestyle of drifting and that scene. And um, motorsport is part of the marketing budget. But getting a brand aligned with a lifestyle is really expensive. Yeah. Like it's not expensive to put a sticker on a race car when it comes to like brand type money. Like we're talking, you know, drink money and manufacturer money. They have a drop in the bucket that goes to racing sponsorship, but the rest of the bucket goes to lowering their mean demographic age, aligning with, you know, certain demographics and, and, um, lifestyles. Yeah. And so drifting came in with money. Wow. It wasn't expensive to run, but you could make money doing it because it was marketing money. That was the, the point of my story, I guess. Right. It was marketing money, not racing money. I'm glad you mentioned the, the stuntman work, too, because we've had a few stuntmen. Mike's one, uh, his buddy, Corda. Corda came on the podcast. He's a, a stuntman. And I know you did some work for the Fast and the Furious, mm -hmm. you know, whole franchise and whatnot. And I always think, like, the whole concept of drifting is a lot like, I guess, boxing, you could say, where you have to – if you're going to teach somebody – you're basically teaching some aggressive person how to like tone that. How has that been for you as a teacher to like teach someone how to like, hey, you got the you got the mindset. Now we got to teach you the skill. It's a lot different. I think it's a lot like fighting in yeah. that um, your natural instincts are almost always wrong. Right. And 
Yeah, like I think with training, you basically are replacing natural instinct with good technique. Right. And so I think it, it, like with fighting, and I'm not a fighting expert, but for, uh, like with fighting, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity for adrenaline to kick in and rage or anger or whatever, which will bring natural instincts to the surface. Yeah. And then you make mistakes. It's exactly the same, I'm sure, on a bike as it is in a car, that your natural instincts are almost always wrong. And, and um, there's a threshold of stress where everybody will get triggered, make a mistake, and you're done. But if you ever get an adrenaline rush in a car, you're, the crash is the next thing that happens. Wow. So, is that like that for you or what? Absolutely. There's a threshold of peace, too, because the only time your mind's at peace is you don't have time to think you react. Okay. So makes sense. Yeah, it's coming at you so fast. You wow. have all you you know rally car. You have your e brake. You're shifting, clutch kicking. You know it's really fast. It comes at you really quick. And one mistake, and you're in the trees. One mistake, you're out from the walls. You know. So. Jesus. And then speaking of uh, stuntmen, you know Jay Lynch. Yeah. I met Corda through Jason Lynch or Julio. I'm sorry. And. uh he told me to um, say hi. Yeah, right on. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, and I haven't seen Jay in a while. We've worked on a bunch of movies together, though. Yeah, we just went riding yesterday. Oh, sweet. Yeah, he's, for 50, he's very talented. It's incredible. You should talk to him about Getonomics. He's got uh, he's got a whole philosophy on how you should be investing your money. Oh, <laughs> man. When you said teacher, it's like that's Corda. <laughs> um, he actually wiped down your cars. Oh. He wiped down your cars, oh, and now yeah. he's a stuntman. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too about your story is it seems like anyone in the kind of business that you're in and you kind of do every job on along the way. I so you I met, I washed cars and I was a mechanic. How far do you think you've come like even from the mechanic stages where you're like, "Fuck, man, I thought I was smart then." Or how much have you learned where you look back now and you're like, "I'm I feel adequate enough." There is I, I mean, others. it's a little cliche, but it, you have to come with the mindset that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. And that never ends. I still am a student of driving, and I've been making a living at it for 25 years. So there's you have to always find everything as a learning experience. And, I mean, I just started this racing series called Extreme E, started competing in it, that goes uh, around the world with these electric trucks. And, I mean, that was like – I was in Saudi – a week and a half ago for that. I saw that. Yeah, super wow. cool. And it was like being a fish out of the water because this truck was a completely weird suspension. It was designed by a marketing company, not a racing company. So there's a lot of working around what the truck could do and um, new formats. And so you're just right back to school. And if you go and get frustrated like, oh, the truck I drove last weekend was way better than this one, then you know, you're just not progressing. So you have to be a student all the time. And that's probably the biggest thing you can tell somebody starting out is everything you think you know right now is is it's great that you have passion and you're interested, but gotta understand that that you're just now learning the right questions. It's not about like knowing everything. It's it's a, it's about being a student your entire career. Right. I think that's what everyone respects about you too, man, is I've seen a lot of interviews now from just the last couple of days once we knew we were going to have you on. And it's people that you've either influenced or, or you know, taught on, on your TV show. And that's the first thing they mentioned, like, oh, I got this opportunity to apply for this. And, you know, I get to study under Tanner Faust. So, like, you know, I, I, I'm assuming he's a down-to-earth guy. And then as soon as I met him, that's exactly what he is. And that's huge, man. Um, tell me about that a little bit, too, because that's a little bit both. It's kind of like media, but also it's mostly about 
what you're doing, teaching kids how to, or teaching students how to race. But tell me about the whole TV show aspect and, you know, it's very personal. It's a lot about you. It's a lot about, like, your life. And again, it's like what we talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean, you get, um, I don't know. I don't know where you get, at some point, your kind of mantra changes a little bit about why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know, once I never thought that I'd be able to make a living with a steering wheel. I mean, it just didn't know how it could happen. And then yeah. when it happened, it's like, okay, awesome. And then you keep moving forward and it's, um, but what inspires me now, I think is actually other people. And, and I think, you know, we talked right in the beginning about the money needed to get into racing and this is the biggest hurdle for people. But I mean, I'm certainly evidence that you can start with nothing and make a living out of it. And, um, I'm truly grateful for all the people that helped me along the way with advice and and introductions. And all you can do is try to not pass it on, I guess, but all you can do is uh, try to help inspire people to not be complacent to living not their perfect life, you know? Right. Um, and I, you have a daughter. Um, I, my daughter is a bit older. She's 16 now. And as she's grown up, like kind of, my, I noticed that a lot of things that drive me have a lot to do with where she's at in life. And you know, everything when, changes. When oh you yeah, have a daughter for sure. So when she was like thirteen or something, it became my mission to make driving fun. Like, make sure that anything that I was doing was about having fun, so that a thirteen-year-old wanted to get a driver's license instead of a phone. Yeah, you know, uh, when they turned sixteen, and. Um, so I got involved in Rallycross, which I thought was the most fun thing. I was involved in this Top Gear show, which was uh, basically anything you could do fun with cars. Everything I was doing was all about like having fun behind the wheel. Um, that's shifted a little bit. Now I find that I get super interested in doing things that promote mobility, like taking your ass from A to B, not living life through a device or through somebody else. Yeah. And, um, you know, got my pilot's license and got oh, a little shit. plane. I fly all the time. Um, got a boat and like to, you, you know, not just it sounds bougie, but really I just love physically taking myself and friends from one place to the other and experiencing things and put your hands on stuff and seeing awesome, through your man. own eyeballs, you know? Absolutely. And so maybe it's a bit about human potential. It's a, it's a bit about, um, you know, physically doing things but in any case uh i think there's a generation and it's, it's terrible with COVID and what they've done to kids but there's yeah. a whole generation of people who who have gotten used to just staying home yeah and so um I'm, I'm a big proponent of just getting your ass out and doing stuff absolutely dylan what do you think are the hurdles um to get through like in the motorsports like professional avenue like he's doing because you from the outside looking and you've seen your your best friends get as successful as that and you've seen i'm sure super talented riders that are just like you know there's always that hurdle what is it for you hurdles are definitely dealing with injuries you know coming back from injuries that's definitely cars are not dirt bikes you know how you deal with injuries is if you become a champion or it's a, an expensive hobby Fuck, you know that's wow. it's that, that that's of a line. harsh. Yeah, that is, it is. And I and I'm th I just turned thirty and I'm a vet now. And like it's for the love of the sport. I just love it so much. Um, you know, it's an expensive hobby for me. I did race. You know, I did a few local pro races and uh, you know didn't make money, but I got to race for free through Yamaha. 
and their contingency program. But um, I feel like the biggest hurdle is how you bounce back from injuries. Damn. Absolutely. What would have been your biggest injuries, Tanner? Mm, I mean, I've always had a cage, so it's it's different. Yeah, absolutely. Still um, dangerous. I mean, oh, fuck I've seen it. people I know. get racked up. Jesus Christ, I'm going to say. I've been lit on fire and stuff. That's the one that <laughs> oh scares my gosh. me the most. What? Well, now a, driving electric little. cars, you don't have to worry. It's kind of weird. I do a lot of electric racing, and that's one of the weird things is you roll. I rolled last week. You roll, you're laying there, and you're not like, I guess I don't have to get out like right now. Yeah. You know, normally it's like you roll and you just see fuel dripping across your legs and you're like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, but the la- probably the biggest injury I had in a race car was the last race I did before Hans devices, which are like head restraint yep. systems. It's like the Liat device for uh, mountain bikers and dirt bike riders. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that was in 2007, and that was I kind of dropped. I was in a rally race in Colorado and dropped off a little bit of a ledge at 70, 75 miles an hour, and the and the car just sort of lawn darted in the hillside, oh. and it's about a 30 foot drop and just lawn darted, and that that as you don't even realize how much your belt stretch. You're like wow. you have a full harness on and everything, but I broke my helmet on the gear shift. Oh shit! Just because your belts and your body your, your ribs and everything. They were okay. It was ligaments in my neck. Just the whiplash. From the weight of the helmet. And um, so then the, uh, but I've had way bigger crashes since then. But with a head restraint system, you just walk out. So, I mean, that's one of, that's one of the things. I, and, and it's one of my kind of things that I push for now is that I'm a big believer that motorsport has done good for us in 100 years. And safety is one of those things. Yeah, Progression absolutely. safety, it has to. Yeah. and with, the, It's progressing so fast. Yeah. You have to keep up with safety. Yeah. And with, with people pushing each other, companies pushing each other, you innovate. You come up with new ways to go faster, more, more reliable, more efficient, and safer. And so, I mean, I feel way safer going 100 miles an hour in a car over jumps and sliding Oof. around cliff edges with a race car than I do driving down the 405. Damn. Yeah. True. I saw, I, I saw the the crash you had uh, on YouTube the or uh, the Saudi one. That was crazy, man. Tell me a little bit about that. And I saw all the you couldn't even see outside your car. At least from the from the footage we saw, it was yeah. it was bananas. It was we made the final, which in this form of racing, it's kind of heat formats, um, and they're electric cars, so they don't last very long. So they do it in heats, and and um, we made the final, which was. Uh, Half the cars make that, and that was a good thing. Racing for McLaren, everybody was super stoked, and Zach Brown was there who owns McLaren. Oh, nice. And then um, we got uh, into the final. It was, we knew it was going to be a dusty course. There's uh, 22 turns or so. There's one of the turns, which was turn four, which was flat out, 85, 90 miles an hour or so, with a long straightaway afterwards. So you had to stay flat through that corner. Had a couple bumps in it. I saw that we were going into the dust. I was in third, and I and I just uh, stayed flat. The person in front of me had a little bit of a moment in the dust, and um, like I said, those trucks are a little bit diabolical. So you had to keep the steering wheel straight when you're going over bumps. If you had any turn in them, it got ugly. Um, they got pretty crossed up a little bit and slowed down a lot, and I was in the dust completely blind, and then bam, they just popped out of nowhere, and I grenaded her right in the oh, back. Oh, was Yeah, it was the probably 30, 40 mile an hour overtake and then sent, sent me just rolling, but <laughs> rolling on dirt sucks too. Like, yeah. you know, in movies and stuff, when you roll on pavement, the car slips and slides on it yeah. and skips. It looks cool too. It dirt. looks cool. Sparks. <laughs> dirt the, has traction. 
Dude, the dirt grabs the roll cage and flings the thing. Yeah. And, and it's just, uh, it's a violent experience in the dirt for sure. Oof. Do you have to, so when you do stunt work, do you have to, do they, essentially they're paying you to do crazy like crashes like that. What's like the ones you had to do with Fast and the Fierce or any of the other movies you've done or stuff like that? Um, you, well, I mean, I've been hit by stuff and, and, um, but usually if, I'm coming in, it's to do more technical driving. It's okay, to cool. not crash. Yeah. And so uh, the first Fast and Furious I did was Tokyo Drift, okay. the third one, where I was Drift King, which is a DK, the uh, bad yep. guy. And it was kind of, it, it was an, it was a good job as in a 350Z that with turbo kits and, and was a good car for a stunt car. Yeah. It was right-hand drive, which is a little bit weird, um, but... Uh, we slid along cliff edges and had a good time. It was Reese Millen and myself mainly. And um, he had a hard job because he was the good guy. And he had to start off like driving terribly bad and then get better and better. And it's really hard to fake like being out of control and, and wobbly <laughs> without genuinely being out of control. So, right. Um, but we that, that was a huge amount of seat time. It was like 60 nights of filming. And um, we had a great time with that. But... Um, yeah, I've been lucky to be in a lot of movies since then. Hell yeah. Um, the most recent one is John Wick 4, which will be out. I don't know when it's coming out, but. No way. There's another one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has to get vengeance for that dog. Keanu Reeves ain't fucking around, man. Killing everybody again. I couldn't watch the new Matrix, dude. I just have too much respect for the first one. I just (laughs) couldn't do it, man. Oh, yeah. John, he, oh my gosh, to see, you wouldn't believe how hard the guy works. I've heard stories, man. I've heard stories. That guy's fighting 10, 12 hours a night for, you know, I mean, he he went from Matrix straight into John Wick, so it was like a year. Yeah, they showed his, even his his, uh, weapons training is bananas, dude. They show all of his uh, videos and how the training he gets, and he's he's like better than like some of these Navy SEALs. He knows, yeah, more about guns than I'll ever, than, you know, he's forgotten more than I'll ever learn, but... There's, um, but in the car thing, he did most of the jo- stuff himself, genuinely, wow. and more than any movie I've ever worked on. So my job was mainly to train him to do the moves, and then what moves he could do uh, at a certain level. Then they actually wrote the whole chase and script around that. Wow! So that he could do it, and and it was awesome. He did a great job. Wow! So what's uh what's next professionally speaking for Tanner Faust? I know. Um 2022 is a big year. You know, there's a lot of stuff. I know. I don't know if was anything suspended the last couple of years because of COVID. Did you guys have to get any restrictions or anything? Um, no. I mean, the Rallycross series, which Pastrana's company Nitro Circus bought and promote, um, that starts in June. So that starts pretty late now. Okay. Um, and I still race for Volkswagen uh, and for McLaren, and both of those are an electric, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, How do you feel about those electric cars? Yeah. It's an inevitability. I mean, I'm always right. going to be a petrol head. Uh, I'm always going to have some fire-breathing uh, thing in my garage. And I, I can't imagine going to Supercross with electric bikes. It's it's. Don't, do you it, think it's going to happen, it though? It pisses me off. It's inevitable. <laughs> no, he's absolutely right. It's inevitable. Like, you go for the fumes and the noise. I just can't imagine around the track. <laughs> it's, it pisses me off. I don't like it. it. And I think I'm... I'm into it for different reasons cuz I think from a from a car side it's inevitable that w- they're on the streets. It's inevitable that we're going to be going electric on the streets. And you know what? In big cities and stuff, awesome. Do it. Yeah. Get rid of the smog, 
have people in the cities driving electric, that's great. It's good yeah. for everybody. Um, and but like I said, I'm a big believer in motorsport for pushing the limits. And so I really hope that motorsport continues from a win on Sunday, sell on Monday thing. And if you want to connect those two dots, then you're racing electric. And and manufacturer money is what makes motorsport go around. I don't, I don't know if it's the same in motocross, but it's the manufacturers that are turning the world to motorsport with their money. So you need them to be able to, you know, sell their stuff that they sell on the street on the racetrack. And so I'm a I'm I'm happy to be a part of that movement to keep motorsport alive. Of course. I've got some fire breathing machines that I love and um that's just the way I was raised and and I I it still, you know, boils my blood a little bit to hear those things mm -hmm. and I love them. So um but it, it just just because you have an electric car doesn't mean you're what was it? it, it this is terribly terrible thing to say, but I heard one of the actors uh, from Brokeback Mountain. He's uh -huh. like, just because you watch the movie doesn't make you gay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it, it's, you know, just because, you know, if you have an electric car plugged to your house. You're not e gay. Even though you have a 68 Camaro sitting in the garage, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it you know, it doesn't mean you hate petrol cars. You know? Right, right, right. I think you're right. I think there could be room for both. We're like, yeah, the regular people can have these and function right. But for this sport, let's, let's keep it the way it's supposed to be, man. Of course. I'm with you on that, man. Well, Tanner Faust, man, um, before we go, um, tell me yep. about your Rockstar whole uh, steal, man. I think that's the coolest shit, dude. Hell yeah. Uh, so I've been with Rockstar 18 years. Wow. Now, they've been, you know, when I first started with them, there were only six employees there. And they- um, Blew up. Yeah, they, they did. Blew up. I mean, it sold to Pepsi for, you know, almost $5 billion. And um, it was a it it was really cool to see that progression that business progression Rockstar, yeah. um, but they didn't really have a motorsport department they didn't have anything of that and and so when I first started with them you know it was party like a rock star they're like hey so Lamborghini you know is that what you're gonna be driving maybe a Porsche but we like Lamborghinis you can drive a Lamborghini <laughs> I was like well. I was thinking like a Ford Focus, you know, and they're like a what? And they're like, now we're going to be racing a, a Beetle. What? You know, they were like blown away because Rally is a very European style car. It's little right. cars. They were thinking, all right, we're getting into motorsport. We're doing nothing but Lamborghinis and McLarens. But, um, you know, they went, they had a lot of trust and they went along into drifting. They went along into Rally, went along into all these things. They were really the first energy drink to be in most of those. Wow. But they never really had the public money that, um, you know, some of the other energy drinks have to come in and title sponsor the series with a four, five, six X kind of number. Right. And um, but they've been a great partner, uh, super trusting. And, and I've been super loyal to them. And, and they've. They've stuck with me for a long time. So 18 years, as you know, in motocross, that's kind of unheard of to be that a long. long time. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, so it's been it's it's been very very cool. Um, it's under Pepsi ownership now, so things change, but it's um, still happy to be with them for sure. Absolutely, Tanner Faust, you're the damn man, man. I appreciate you coming in here. Thank you guys. Um, I appreciate all you're doing, man. Like I said, dude, I do think like you being so cool to the young generation is a big deal in any sport. It doesn't matter what sport you're in, man. When you see that, it inspires you. It even gets you interested. Like I didn't, I didn't know shit about rally car racing for a while or motocross until I met you. And um, when you meet cool people in there, it definitely goes, all right, I want to learn about this shit. Or I want to, you know, it opens the idea of, you know, maybe I won't put my kids in baseball. Maybe I'll put them in something like this. But it's exciting. Um, it's humbling meeting somebody like yourself, man. And I appreciate you coming in, brother.
Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate it. No of course. This is all to take. We'll see you guys later. Peace. Take, take care, guys. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with the racing legend, Tanner Faust. Thanks a lot for stopping in, Tanner. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, it was a huge honor for me. I know it was a huge honor for Dylan. And it's definitely refreshing to meet somebody as accomplished as you are, who's considered the most decorated driver in American history, to still maintain your humility, to still want to give back to the next generation. And uh, that's just super inspiring to me, man. So it was, a, it was a huge honor, and I appreciate you taking the time, brother. Thanks a lot. For all of you Tanner Faust fans out there, man, I put all of his social media links, his websites, his YouTube channels, all that stuff. I put it in the podcast description. So if you want to find out more about the legend himself, you already know where to go. And uh, for all of you Alternate Take fans out there, you also already know the deal about that, dude. Go to our Instagram, at Alternate Take DR, our TikTok, at Alternate Take DR as well. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to have a YouTube soon, so uh, stay tuned for that. This is Alternate Take. I am Danny Rodriguez, and I appreciate you guys stopping in. Peace.